Hello, Patriots. Welcome back to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today, Living with Liberty draws the attention of big tech. I'll have voter data showing that Republicans do indeed have a messaging problem. And we'll finish up with destroying another leftist propaganda piece next on Living with Liberty. Living with Liberty caught the attention of the big tech censors over the last week. Episode 139 has been totally wiped off of ScrewTube for violating community guidelines, whatever that means. Uh, they said me- I gave medical misinformation, whatever. And then TikTok wiped off my clip saying that the U.S. government is the biggest purveyor of misinformation. Other clips from that episode were left up on TikTok, so... That's uh, that's interesting that they'd pick that one. And that was, they decided to do that after they had obviously throttled back its distribution. Usually I'll get anywhere from three to 500 or so views of my clips I post out there, depending on the day. Uh, so that was, they obviously throttled that one back before they decided to just wipe it off the internet. And honestly, too, it's not the first video I've had throttled on TikTok. They've throttled other ones that didn't get any distribution at all. Um, So that's nothing new for those communist censors over there. Now, I appealed my decision in both cases and uh, have not heard back from TikTok yet. But ScrewTube came back to me within a matter of hours saying that my Appeal was denied. They were upholding their decision, saying it's their job to make sure that YouTube is a safe place for all. So they are the arbiters of what is safe and not safe for me or for you, the viewer or consumer of the content out there. Who the who the hell died and made them the king of all all uh, content and, and what it is or isn't and what it says or doesn't say? Who the hell put them in charge of what is safe or not safe for me? Who? Why should they get to decide that? Now, what's my crime in both cases? Well, I, I was using the story about how the CDC used misinformation to make a decision on adding the poison dart to the childhood jab fest schedule. I cited, cited the actual information, actual information confirmed through a FOIA request to the CDC That FOIA request garnered the emails that went back and forth within the CDC that, hey, we have misinformation here in this this data we're going to use to decide on on adding this, uh, this COVID jab to the Childhood Jab Fest schedule. So... I cited their own information, their own information, the, the information of their, their trusted scion there at Google, the government, and uh, both platforms both took it down. They, they took anything associated with it down. I mean, in, in the government misinformation, I mean, that goes back to what's the CDC? It's a government agency. So who's purveying the misinformation? The government. How many stories have we seen about the FBI recently coming out and finally admitting that they've been peddling misinformation? The FBI, oh, that's a government entity. So we're over the target. 
we are over the target on this. These videos getting taken down just prove how over the target we are on this. And, and TikTok, I would figure that being a, a communist-run platform, I would figure that uh, they would, wouldn't mind the U.S. government being, uh, you know, me going after the U.S. government in that manner. But I guess they've got to kind of protect their own misinformation campaign within the U.S. government, right? That's probably what it boils down there to. Anyway, so this is typical of, of leftists. This is typical of what they do. They just prove my point of government wanting to peddle inf misinformation by wiping off a podcast and a clip citing a government agency ignoring misinformation. So they just proved my point that uh, they, the government, are the purveyors of misinformation because they wiped off something I put out there that cited the government's own internal emails, their own uh, in, internal acknowledgement that, hey, we had misinformation in here that we used. Now, TikTok obviously has some sort of deal with the U.S. government to squash certain information, and we already know about ScrewTube and how in bed they are with the U.S. government. Now, before you ask me why I'm on either, it's because we need to get the word out everywhere. We need to have our message of liberty and freedom everywhere. So that's why I go on these awful platforms. That's why I'm on places like Facebook and Twitter. I might not be super active there, but I do post stuff there from time to time. And it's important because hopefully someone catches it or someone shares it and it's spread and the message spreads. That's how this thing works. So Rumble is my home video platform. I try to funnel everyone there. No matter what platform they catch my show or the clips on, I've always got uh, a link or something that takes them or directs them back to my Rumble channels because they're the only ones allowing the free speech. So I've got the podcast channel there. I've got the Living with Liberty uh, show clips channel there. So I'm not beholden to big tech or China tech for everything. I've got backups. I've got that as my primary source. So the message is still out there. It's still getting out there. And uh, to this point, the audio-only platforms haven't taken anything down. So I'm still there everywhere via the audio platforms as well. So there's still audio only and there's still rumble that's not going to take any of my videos down so you know subscribe in both places all right moving on the question of the day remains do the republicans have a messaging problem now i've heard over the course of the last week or so now 10 days whatever it's been since the midterms you got some republicans coming out kind of squishily admitting that yeah, we got a, we've got many problems. You've got Rhino Paul Ryan, who's been a major disappointment. Guy was my rep for years. I liked him as my rep. He's really, ever since Trump, Trump ruined that guy. Ever since then, he's just been an absolute disappointment. He came out this week. Well, I'll do some more, a longer segment, I think, on it next week, maybe. But he, he came out and said, yeah, you know, anybody not named Trump can beat Biden. Okay. I mean, this, this is the kind of stuff that's not helpful. And it's just goes to prove my point. There's a messaging problem. Is Trump part of the Republican Party or not? I get it if you're in a primary against him. But at the end of the day, this is a messaging problem. You're disparaging a candidate who, by all accounts, is, as much as I've had to say about Trump and what I think uh, needs to happen there, he's still part of the Republican Party. He's still a force in the Republican Party. He's still going to be... Um, uh, one of those that's going to need to be dealt with come primary time. No matter what your thoughts are, and they run the spectrum, I'm sure. And I think, 
last add on this, even as long as we're off topic here a little bit. Um, I, I think that his announcement speech on uh, what was a Tuesday, I think it was this week, very on point. He stayed on message. There was no messaging problem there. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Here's our problems. Here's our solutions. I'm going to do this. Didn't take shots at anybody, but Biden didn't uh, garble his message in any way. If he stays on message like that, and that was my one of my biggest points, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with and will likely be the nominee, period. And no matter what my feelings are, I said what I need to see from him. He stays consistent with that. It's, you know, it, it's probably going to be Trump. Get ready for it. Uh, I'm not changing my stance. I'm still going to evaluate every candidate uh, through the proper lens and, and through uh, that America first lens and, and through that conservative lens, quite honestly. But at the end of the day, I'm going to say, given Trump's popularity relative to other Republicans, prominent Republicans and conservatives out there, we know at the end of the day, too, this boils down to a, a, a um, popularity contest. So take that for what it's worth, I guess. So anyway, messaging problem. Back to the messaging problem. So, yes, they have a messaging problem. They didn't want to say it. Some some honest Republicans did come out and say it. I, I want to say it was Josh Hawley uh, might have been one of the ones that said it. But they do have a messaging problem. Now, as you know. That's been my position. That was my position. One of the points I made in the last show, Republicans have a messaging problem. Part of the reason why they lost the midterms, or I shouldn't say lost the midterms, but didn't do as well as what was expected. Now, I have even more data here today to prove that point. And it'll go a little further to, uh, towards proving the point. Uh, Tribalism is a bit of a factor maybe as well. Now, I'm going to just cover a few questions of this uh, voter survey that uh, Fox News did. Um, but the whole set of data is, is fascinating. It's, it's, uh, if you're into data, I, okay, I'm a nerd. I'm into data. I like numbers. So I looked through, read this whole thing, broke it down. You could uh, uh, further kind of uh, drill down into the data and see the breakdown between Republican, Democrat, other, whoever. Uh, to me, fascinating If you just want to look at the top level, still very fascinating data. But it gets a a look inside the minds of the voting public. Also, with this data, I know you say, Ryan, we know these polls. uh, They don't have a good sample size. They do small sampling. It's very, um, very uh, kind of one-sided in terms of who they're they're targeting, who they're uh, talking to. These bits of data, these, these questions that were asked, the sample sizes on these things are anywhere from 3,000 to over 90,000 responses. So this is a huge, huge set of data with a, with a, large, uh, a, a large and broad swath of people that were surveyed. So th- this is a pretty, especially when you're talking about getting to over 90,000 responses, that's a pretty good representation of the population. So I'm, I'm pretty... Uh, I call pretty confident in this data that it is an actual decent representation, especially as I drilled down into some of the other, uh, kind of call it subtext of the data, the top line data itself. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident this is a really good representation of the current mindset of Americans and of the electorate. So now the first question uh, I'll go over from this data set 
is this one. It says, generally speaking, do you consider yourself to be a liberal, moderate, or conservative? Now, the data here shows what I've said many times on this show, that America's a moderate to even maybe a moderately conservative country. We just are. And it's bare, it, it's borne out in this data. So 29% of the people identified themselves as liberal, while 34% identified themselves as moderate and 35% as conservative. So you've got 69% of the country. Let me see, did I do my on-air math right here? Yes. Um, 69% of the country that are moderate or conservative and consider themselves so. So this begs the question then, as to why the Democrat Party has majorities anywhere in government. I'll say anywhere outside of, of heavy blue areas where we know these the Democrats like to congregate like mosquitoes to one of those zapper lamps that you put outside to get rid of mosquitoes. I mean, why do they have any majorities anywhere, especially at a statewide or a federal level? So... Let's assume here for a second that the, the liberals, let's say they're, they're Democrats. Okay, so the most of the liberals, people identifying as liberal, they're Democrats. Drill down the data, it's true. Let's say that then for argument's sake, conservatives are basically the Republicans. And then drilling into the data, let's split the moderates as they identified by uh, their party in the poll because it wasn't as 50-50 split in the moderates. You had 55% of the moderates uh, say they're Democrat, and you had 40% say they're Republican. Even if we did and broke this down along those lines and did kind of split the data out like that, you'd still have a majority that theoretically would lean towards Republicans, with majorities sh seemingly sh everywhere from local up to the federal government. So to me, I look at the data, look at that, I do the splits. How are the Democrats in any power, either state at a state level where, uh, or a, a federal level? And, and why, honestly, why, if you're moderate, if you're a moderate Democrat, I'm assuming you probably lean a little more liberal on the social issues. But, you know, if you're looking at things from a moderate Democrat perspective, that tells me they're probably more fiscally conservative. Why would you vote in the face then of, of uh, let's say the wallet is your almighty arbiter, then I think it is for most of us. Why would you vote in your own uh, against your own self-interest in that point if you're a moderate Democrat? I get the whole social, uh, you know, liberal C issues. Uh, we got Republicans like that, you know. Fine, I I don't care, you know, one way or the other at, at that point, as long as it's not overt, as long as you're not attacking children with this stupid ideology and, and trying to over-sexualize them at, at a young age fine, I, I don't care about some of the other stuff. It ain't necessarily super important uh, at the end of the day, um, especially when it comes to things like let's help people, okay? That's probably a, a very socially liberal thing to, to say, and I'm all for it. The difference is probably in how Democrats go about solving that problem versus Republicans, end of the day, as an example. Anyway, so back to this idea, why... Why do Democrats have any any majorities, especially when you get out of that local type uh, government and into those those more kind of statewide type offices, whether it be governor or you get statewide elections for you know like senator and especially president? Why are there 
the, you know, why, what is it about Republicans that even though we lean that way as a country, moderate to kind of conservative, uh, why aren't we, don't we have this perpetual uh, majority with, you know, with conservative values and, and kind of leaning on the Republican side? Some of it's, I think, I'll put them, I'll put my plug in here. Um, those of you not, that know uh, Doc Mather, uh, conservative social psychologist, just came out with a fantastic article today that I think explains a lot of that reasoning um, about how the neocons are actually really progressives and they should just leave the Republican Party. But, you know, that that's that's my plug there. I think go read that article. It's great. I'll link it in my description box here for this episode. But um, why? I, I mean, why is it? I think it boils down to messaging. It, plain and simple. I, like I said last last episode, Republicans didn't do enough to differentiate themselves from Democrats, especially in close races where you have to. The Republican Party doesn't know how to market itself. There, I'll put it this way. There's a time to play by the rules that the Democrats have set. And there's a time when you have to forge your own rules, let's call it, and or you have to play by different rules. You have to play by rules that the public wants to hear. When it comes to some of the idiot policies, yeah, play by the rules the Democrats set. California Republicans, why don't you go out and ballot harvest tens of thousands of ballots at the same, you know, like the Democrats do? Go out and do it. Those are the rules set. Do it. When it comes to messaging, you can't just play by the Democrat rules of, oh, well, vote for Democrats, Republicans are bad. That's what we had in a lot of cases in this last election. Vote for Republicans because Democrats are bad. That doesn't work. People want solutions to problems they have. Telling me that the Democrats are bad doesn't solve those problems. It makes me much likely as a voter on the fence to just stick with what I have because as humans, we hate change. Republicans had a real opportunity and still have a real opportunity to contrast their ideas and policies against the backdrop of what the Democrats are doing, and yet they continually fall into their time-honored campaign messaging of Democrats' bad vote for Republicans. They just try and play the game in reverse, and we've seen it doesn't work. And I don't think it would have worked this time around in I will say in a lot of cases, I would you still lost some races? Yeah, there's there's just some issues where at the end of the day, tribalism takes over or whatever, and people pull the handle for the Democrat. Inversely, same thing on the Republican side, right? But I think if you have an honest message, a good message, you give something uh, tangible to people that they can then take and see and visualize how it applies to their life, They'll say, oh, yeah, I see now how this sucks under the Democrats. Let's try something different. And you know what? If it's that something different doesn't work, I can go back the other way because, you know, we have that choice here. But you, you can't just say one side's bad and, and that be the campaign message. Does it work to a degree? Yeah, otherwise they wouldn't keep doing it. But at the end of the day, we're, we're a society, especially the younger generations who are looking for tangible things. They can go to their phones, look stuff up right there on the spot. And if you're not reaching them with a message, even, you know, people like me who are, you know, Gen X, I mean, we grew up in that, that age of, you know, we're comfortable with paper, we're comfortable with technology. You can reach us multiple ways. 
I, you know, like I said, all the mailers I came to my house, I, my recycle bins right on the way back in the house from the mailbox. I just threw them in there. I'm not, you know, I get tired of all that crap. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you say something, I can go and look it up quick. I don't have to wait for it to be printed the next day in the newspaper or whatever. And then, uh, you know, try and decipher for myself if it's true or not. I can go see what you said on the spot, look it up, compare data, and then call you a liar right on the spot. And they lose that message. They don't understand that. And they don't understand, well, okay, they're bad. Why are they bad? That's that's the problem here. You know, uh, if it, it's and this goes for anything. But we're talking, you know, politics here. But it goes for anything. If you can't offer uh, or articulate why you are better than the alternative, why would I choose you? If If Pepsi can't articulate why it's better than Coke and I'm a Coke drinker, why would I try Pepsi? Why? If you as a Republican can't articulate why you're better than the Democrat currently in office as a Democrat voter or an independent voter, why am I going to just uh, switch sides? Why would I, why would, what would trigger me to switch? I'm comfortable where I'm at. Yeah, it might be a freaking dumpster fire, but you didn't offer anything that's going to put that dumpster fire out. You just said the dumpster fire is bad. Well, yeah, I know the dumpster fire is bad. At least I know what I'm getting with the dumpster fire. You didn't tell me what I'm going to get with you. Now, tribalism, I think, is another thing here at play. The Democrat Party, as it stands, is not a moderate party anymore. Let's quit pretending it is. It's been hijacked. I heard something. Uh, I think it was on Tucker the other night. I think he was talking to, like, Buck Sexton or somebody. Yeah, I think it was, you know, the, uh, the night Pelosi said that she's done his leadership in as part of the leadership of the Democrat caucus in the House. He said something very uh, interesting. It was that, or no, it was Will Kane. Sorry, it was Will Kane said that Nancy Pelosi is a moderate in the Democrat Party now. For years, the, one of the most liberal members of, of the party was pushing the liberal agenda, right, for the last 20 years or whatever, as leader of the Democrat caucus. She got to set that. That's, you know, that's, I guess, the hierarchy of politics. That's what you get. But he said something really smart in that now, in today's Democrat Party, Nancy Pelosi's a moderate. Uh, blew my mind. So we know the Democrat Party's not a moderate party anymore. It's obvious. Not in the least is that even true. Yet moderate Democrats continue to pull the handle on election day for these socialists. Why? Because of tribalism within these political parties. At the end of the day, it's like, well, I just identify myself as a, as a Democrat. The group think is taken over. And it's like, I'm just, I'm a Democrat. I'm just going to pull the handle no matter what, even if what the policies they're, they're putting forth as what they're going to do is in, in not in my self-interest as a taxpayer, as a member of the, the uh, American society here, I'm still going to pull the handle for them anyway, because at the end of the day, I'm a Democrat. Why? Let's quit identifying with a party. Let's quit identifying ourselves with a party and go to the candidate. Which candidate embodies my ideals on a, uh, let's say on a, a, a mostly level? We're never going to agree 100% with any candidate. We are likely going to compromise some principles to vote for a candidate, that's just the way it is. The end of the day, you have to decide which principles am I, uh, which of my principles am I willing to compromise to vote for a candidate that mostly aligns with, with my ideals. That, that's it at the end of the day.
no matter what, it's not, this isn't electing somebody isn't a black and white issue. And I think for those that it is a very black and white issue, they probably stay home because nobody matches, uh, measures up to the, the purity level expected. And no candidate is. We're human. We all have our shortfalls. That's the end of the end of the story there. It's which candidate do I identify uh, most with? Which candidate is going to, ha- which candidate has my best self, my self-interest in, uh, in mind as they're running. So that's why I don't get it. I don't get outside of the tribalism uh, issue here why moderate Democrats continue to pull the handle for the radical socialists running the party now. Okay, m- moving on. The, ne- the next point of data here is one of the more troubling points of data, uh, I think, is that's contained in this survey. And this is the question that, um, that kind of has me a little bit worried, let's call it, about the direction of our country. It says this, which comes closer to your views? Government should do more to solve problems or government is doing too many things uh, better left to businesses and individuals. So the, the, the troubling part of this is that 55%, so a majority of people think the government should do more. And in that 55%, is 30% of Republicans surveyed said the government should do more. The government is not competent to solve problems. The government is not competent to solve problems you and I face every day in our day-to-day lives. They've proven that over and over. It's been very rare, very rare. I don't want to say never. We don't like to be absolutists here. So I'll say it's been very rare in the course of history that the answer to a problem has been more government. You, you, if it has happened, you can count it on one hand, the times that that's been true, that the answer uh, to or a solution to a problem has been more government. So let's take a look at some of the problems government has tried to solve and what have been the results. Because the, And these are going to be the talking points when you talk to somebody, especially on the left, and says, yeah, the government can't solve a problem. Well, they're going to probably bring up some of these. So they'll bring up maybe the war on poverty. So what's happened with the war on poverty? LBJ's Great Society or whatever the hell he called it. We've had trillions spent, trillions of dollars spent trying to combat poverty and poverty still exists. So what's the answer now is, oh, we got to have socialism because everybody's equal. Well, they, yeah, everybody's going to be equally freaking poor then. Everybody will be in poverty. Nobody will have a chance to make anything better of themselves. So let's squash that narrative. But you'll get that narrative. You'll get that response from people on the left. Oh, well, the war on poverty, we've spent trillions. What do we have? We still have poverty. Restrictive gun laws. We need more restrictive gun laws to keep guns out of the hands of criminals. Yet shootings and murders still happen. Criminals still get their hands on guns. So that's, uh, we're 0 for 2 right now on on, uh, problems that the government's tried to solve. Let's look at the next one. Government schools. Oh, we just need more money for schools. Let's let's have government schools. We can train everybody the same, blah, blah, blah. What happened now? Well, our kids continue to fall further behind on the world stage when it comes to academics. We spend more time teaching them about gender identity than how to do a math problem, how to solve a problem. And you know what that translates into? I was talking to my brother the other day. He's taking some classes. He's got some younger people in, their, in, their class, in his class. And he told me that 
these young people, when they're faced with just a little bit of adversity, freak out and crumble and go into the fetal position. They can't problem solve. You know why? Because we spend more time affirming genders, affirming furries, putting litter boxes in the school hallways for these kids to piss in or whatever, than we do teaching them math. I'll tell you what, I don't want to be traveling on any bridges or, or in any buildings, be any, any buildings that people that have learned math in the last 10 years or so design. I don't want to be in any of them. You know why? Them things are going to freaking fall down because they don't know how to do math. They don't know how to, to design things. I mean, these are very precise. Bridges and things are very precise when you build them so they don't fall down. I mean, and when they're not precise, we, we see things like the Tacoma Narrows Bridge that was swaying in the wind and crumbled to the ground. That, that's what happens when you don't have precision in what you're doing when you're designing things that people are going to use. And where does that precision and problem solving come uh, come in? It comes from math. That's where it comes from. So we, can, we continue to fall further behind. Kids don't know their basic history. They don't know anything. Can't even give you know, simple change. Can't even give me a change for a dollar. I mean, it's a base hundred. It's easy, right? Can't even give me change for a dollar. I tell them how to give me change. Now, here's, here's the other beauty, right? A guaranteed income through Social Security and retirement. The government said, hey, how can we guarantee that retirees have income? I got it, Social Security. Well, what the hell happened to Social Security? It's broke, and people under 55 are in real danger of not seeing any Social Security payments when they retire. It's the biggest legal Ponzi scheme in history. What's the next one? Oh, Obamacare. What happened? Everybody can have insurance. It's going to be fabulous. It'll be cheap. You can keep your doctor. What happened? Well, you couldn't keep your doctor. Insurance premiums have skyrocketed for, per, uh, for private insurance because they put price caps and subsidies in place for the Obamacare insurance. What happens? So the, you have the same insurance companies that do the private insurance that are doing the government insurance. They get they have to they they have a cap on what they can charge for the government insurance plan. So what do they do? They raise the rates on the private insurance. They're not going to lose money. So they, these are they, these are just a few problems governments tried to solve that they they failed at. They have failed us. And there's a long long list of other government failures. I don't want to bore you with them all. So we have this long long list of government failures, yet a majority of people think government should be doing more to solve problems? We need more government? Are you freaking kidding me? What the hell are these people thinking? What are we thinking as a country? The government is not competent to solve the problems faced by everyday people. It needs to stick what it is competent in, which is a very narrow scope of life that is outlined perfectly by our constitution. The founders knew what they were doing when they said the federal government should be limited and our truthfully our states and local governments should be just as limited. But at least states and you get down to local government are at least closer to the people to know what problems are, are, are there and how to maybe solve them because people will be more engaged at that level. The federal government, forget it. These people think they know what, uh, what needs to be done, and they just end up screwing it up more. It's perfect. The Constitution outlines what the federal government in particular is competent in. Citizens and businesses and local, I'll even say local, very local governments, your community governments, can handle the rest of the problem solving. 
Now, what's even more puzzling is the response to this comes during a time when we have the most incompetent presidential administration in history. I'll dare say we have the most incompetent Congress and Senate in history. We have some of the dumbest people in office, and we still have a majority of people saying we need more government, even though it's been nothing but a a festival of incompetence. This administration has bungled every major issue it has faced, yet people still think we need more government problem-solving. Why? I don't get it. Maybe my brain's too logical here. Maybe I just see things as they are and not as I want them to be. I don't know. Maybe I need to stop living in reality. Maybe I'll have that mindset too. Oh, yeah, Ah, the government can solve the problem. Ah, I'll ignore everything else. Yeah, here, government, take another problem and screw it up for me. Now, to be honest, I and you know, you all know, I'm as optimistic as anyone when it comes to our country. And I think where we have the, uh, you know, we, have, we still have the ability to recover, to get back to greatness. But honestly, this response really shakes that optimism quite a bit. I mean, if we as a nation think the answer to our problems is more government involvement, then we may truly be on an irreversible path towards irrelevance as a nation. Subscriptions are one of the big ways podcasts get discovered. So if you could, please do me a favor. Whatever platform you may be listening or viewing on, please hit the subscribe button. It will give you an alert whenever a new Living with Liberty is published. And the subscriptions help us get into the recommendations so others can find the show. All right, finishing up today... I have an article here from Politico titled How Political Violence Went Mainstream on the Right by Rachel Kleinfeld. Now, I think as you can tell by the title of this piece, it's pretty much going to be a exercise, or I should say, let me use proper English, an exercise in cognitive dissonance. Now, the level of cognitive dissonance in this piece is seemingly higher than other pieces I've done on the show. It's. I was just dumbfounded, maybe the best word to use. I don't know. I, I was, you know, speechless. I'm, I'm kind of speechless again talking about it. But I, I couldn't believe this. I, it just the level of of just denial of reality in this piece, is it, it's astounding. I'll link it in a description box. If you feel like you want to be astounded by pure stupidity, and partisanship and just blind to what's, you know, reading about uh, reading a piece by someone that's just blind to what's actually going on in society. Read it, give it a click. I know it's a, uh, you know, a, a bull hit you know, article, but I mean, it'll blow your mind. So a little bit about Rachel Kleinfeld. She is a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. So whatever that is, Uh, where she supposedly advises uh, philanthropists and governments on how democracies can address violence and polarization. So uh, that kind of sounds nice, right? Sounds like, oh, you know what? We are a polarized society. Uh, We are very divided in this country. And we do have, uh, I would say, an issue with um, political violence. So this all sounds really nice. Sounds like Rachel Kleinfield's like, doing some decent work here. Now, 
Like I said, this whole piece is an exercise in cognitive, uh, cognitive dissonance. So apparently Kleinfeld thinks the best way to address these issues that this uh, Carnegie endowment, blah, 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 whatever, is uh, uh, for uh, getting rid of. She thinks the best way to address the issues is by writing a divisive one-sided piece where all her sourcing comes from leftist hack sites. That's just the fact. I looked at uh, all the links she had. Go and look up the site. Go and look up some of the people. If they're tag, uh, uh, called the site owners, look them up. You know, I, a couple of them, you know, are current thingers. They had Ukrainian flags in their bio and rainbow flags and Trump hate all over their Twitter page. So give me a break. You, you think this, so you're not even citing, uh, you know, nonpartisan data. You're going to partisan hack sites to make your point absolutely ridiculous. This thing's just, it's just crazy. So anyway, here's how Rachel Kay started out her piece. She wrote this. In the last five years, political violence has skyrocketed on the right and desire is growing on the left. The public's willingness to support partisan violence in America now approaches levels recorded in Northern Ireland at the height of its, its troubles. <laughs> Gosh. So right off the bat, coming right, both guns. Oh, she probably doesn't like guns. Um, so, so what can we say? May, you know, but both pillows blazing here. <laughs> so this is a real interesting take. Since just about every instance of political violence that has not been labeled a peaceful protest, okay, and hasn't been debunked as not an insurrection, uh, every just about every instance of political violence in this country over the last five years has actually been a debunked narrative of violence from the right. So in essence, what am I saying here? It's actually come from the left. It's the left. It's the left who uh, likes those, those peaceful protests. It's the left who uses violence to get their message across. There couldn't be a more absurd statement that the desire for Political violence is growing on the left. They've been the nearly sole perpetrators of political violence in the last six plus years and longer. The burning down of the Minneapolis police station was not by, done by anybody on the right. It wasn't conservatives burning it down. The destruction of the federal courthouse in Portland was not done by anybody on the right. Chazistan in Seattle wasn't set up by the right. Organized marches through the streets chanting cops are pigs, fry them like bacon, were not coordinated by the right. It wasn't the right pulling down and destroying statues of historical figures. Who was it? It was the left, Rachel Kleinfield. It's rare when you see someone from the right at a protest screaming in someone's face. Show me a conservative right-leaning protest where people are screaming in, in someone's face. Yet, it's an all-too-common occurrence at protests by the left. What do they do? They get in people's faces and scream and yell like petulant children because they have brain malfunction. They can't articulate a position. They can just scream and yell because they're too stupid to logically think through anything. So right out of the gate, right out of the gate, like I said, both pillows are blazing here. Kleinfeld shows what a gigantic clown she is. Now, of course, we aren't just going to stop at this opening statement. There's just too much meat on the bone to tear off here in this article. These people need to be thoroughly exposed for the frauds they and, and grifters they are. 
And that's what we're going to do here. We're going to march through a few more of her ridiculous statements and debunk those too. Because if we don't, if we don't spend time doing this, they get away with it. And then they continue to keep doing it. And the biggest, one of of the uh, Alinsky rules is, is, um, you know, embarrassing your, your opposition is powerful. It's powerful to poke fun at this stuff. And to embarrass people, because then maybe they'll back down. A lot of cases, they do back down. They slink away, embarrassed. So now, there's even more. I mean, that, that opening statement was ridiculous, right? But there's the beauty of this article is that there's more, even more ridiculous claims in it. Like this one here. Progressives who support violence are disconnected from the Democrat Party and are generally disavowed by political leaders. Though Democrats could do more to speak against the high levels of property violence that ravaged small businesses during the summer of 2020. Now, I will give her this. <laughs> and probably very begrudgingly, but I will give her this. Kleinfeld at least had an afterthought about speaking against the property violence, but it was exactly that because it was in parentheses. It was an afterthought. Now, she sprinkles these types of statements throughout this piece and a piece she links, uh, she links her own piece, actually, that's on the the Carnegie Endowment website, uh, where some of this seems to have been taken from. So she links back to that as well. But if you go and follow that link and read that, she makes these weak attempts to make it look like she's not not some partisan hack. She's really trying as this afterthought, oh, you know what, but the Democrats, yeah, they could have done something too. They, they could have denounced the, the property violence. Well, what about the people getting their ass kicked? What about the fights, uh, Antifa? What about the physical in- intimidation of, of uh, Antifa and BLM? Didn't say that. She just said, well, the Democrats could have denounced the property violence, but not the physical violence against conservatives against people speaking out against Antifa and BLM. No, no mention of that anywhere, just the property violence. These progressives are not disconnected from the Democrat Party. They are the Democrat Party. They are the Democrat Party. Remember James Brown's stunt double, or I mean, I, you know what I mean, Maxine Waters, rallying her supporters to get in the face of Trump supporters and cabinet members when they were seen in public. Remember that? Remember that clip? Or how about Chuck Schumer basically threatening Supreme Court justices in his you've released the whirlwind and we'll pay the price speech. Remember that one? Remember that video? Oh, where are they? Oh, they're Democrats, right? They're on the left. They're progressives. Or how about this? How about the ever irrelevant Madonna who said this on Inauguration Day in 2017? Yes, I'm angry. Yes, I'm outraged. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. That's Madonna in 2017. Who's the one, or who, I should say, are the ones perpetuating the violence? Who's welcoming the violence? Rachel Kleinfeld. Now, let's look at that Madonna statement for a second. If you or I said that, If you or I posted that on our social media, the feds would be knocking down our door with their battering ram, yanking us out of bed, throwing us down on the ground, and cuffing us while they ransacked our house. You can take that to the bank. But because it's Madonna, because it's the right narrative, 
she gets away with it. Now, if we would have said something like that about uh, when Obama was in the White House, you can bet the FBI is coming after us. And then why stop there, though? Why, why stop at Madonna? Let's keep going. There's the old scion himself, Barack Obama, who suggested on the campaign trail that his supporters confront their opponents and get in their faces. And then he also said that if they bring a knife to the fight, we bring a gun. Sounds pretty violent to me, no? And then, you know, of course, you top this whole crap sandwich off with you have the deafening silence of the Democrats of Democrats everywhere when it came to the destruction of our cities by way of the violent protests, no matter how peaceful they were in their eyes. They were violent protests. They were riots. Let's call it what it is. The riots. You had many of them just blowing it off, blowing these these destructive riots off as people just, they're just blowing off steam. Just let them blow off steam. That's what the mayor of Baltimore said during the Freddie Gray incident. Ah, oh, they're just blowing off steam. Let's let them go. They'll stop eventually. So tell me again, Rachel Kleinfeld, who exactly has worked to mainstream violence? Who exactly has been spouting off the rhetoric that some unhinged lunatics out there will and do eventually take action on? Who has it been? I don't see Ted Cruz out there saying this stuff. I don't even see Donald Trump out there saying this stuff. Let's go right to the, the, the most hated man on the left, Donald Trump. Show me where Donald Trump has said, Let, you've released the whirlwind, you're going to pay the price. Show me where Donald Trump has said, if they bring a knife to the fight, you bring a gun. Where's Donald Trump said, if you see you know, Democrats out there, get in their face. Who, where have you seen that? I haven't seen it. And if I have, you know we'd call it out here because it's unacceptable. Political violence is unacceptable. So Rachel Kleinfeld, who are the ones perpetuating the political violence? It's not coming from the right. And then Kleinfeld said this in her piece. Goes like this. But on the right, support for violence is no longer a fringe position. Really? Really now, I just listed a bunch of leftists who are out there spouting violent rhetoric. I just gave a bunch of examples where they didn't even denounce each other's violent rhetoric. They didn't denounce the violence. They didn't run from it. They didn't turn from it. But you have the stones to say it's no longer a fringe position on the right? Are you effing kidding me right now? What conservative or Republican is out there threatening liberal Judges with the talk of releasing whirlwinds and paying prices. What conservative out there, as I said, I just said, I just gave this one. If they bring a knife to the fight, bring a gun. None. Because we denounce these actions immediately. And we will call each other out for even spouting this kind of rhetoric. We will denounce it immediately. We will turn it from it immediately. And we will say political violence has no part of our uh, of our political process here. Kleinfeld then goes on to cite some of her leftist buddies and how murder is up in red states, wanting you to ignore the fact that uh, states don't really patrol the cities and don't make policy for the cities. It's the local politicians that do. So, of course, that got put in there too, to try and make a point that it's the right where the, this political violence is growing. I'm not going to spend time debunking this here. There's other stuff to get to. I could, and I could be, honestly, I could be here all day working through this stuff. Um, 
so I'm not going to do it here. I, I think we've all seen enough of it anyway that, oh, it's red states, but oh, well, you know, where are the people concentrated? Uh, where are the people uh, uh, concentrated that are committing these crimes? What's well, in the big Democrat run cities? And who's responsible for the local crime? Well, it's the local police force, a local government there. It's not the state. It's another, I, again, I, I probably went too far debunking that already, but you know, that stuff's important to say, I think. So I want to finish, though, on this. It's perhaps the climax of stupidity in this piece. It truly illustrates what the left thinks their role is in society. And that is that they think they are the top of the hierarchy and you have to listen to them and that you should listen to them. And if you don't, then you're just a bad person. And I think this statement too, this last piece here I'm going to go over, also illustrates the massive cognitive dissonance problem they truly have on the left. Kleinfeld writes this, Everyday conservatives also need to do their part. One particularly pernicious culprit in violence is jokes and memes. Jokes are actually far more likely to normalize prejudice than an overtly prejudiced argument because sharp-edged humor circumvents our brain's usual pathways for rational thinking. The Internet's subculture of misogynistic, racist, and violent half-jokes against Democrats, boo-hoo, thus plays a particularly dangerous role in normalizing ideas that many people wouldn't entertain if forced to speak it in plain language. We need to request that friends and neighbors refrain from such casual harm and demand it from our leaders. I can hear the heavy sobs and tears hitting the keyboard as this was written. What a pe- what uh, what a load of crap. Honestly. Boo-hoo, jokes, memes. Hurt my feelings while scroll by them then, Rachel. Gosh, you, I can hear it now. I, I can just and I can just visualize her hunched over a keyboard, just sobbing and tears streaming down her face, probably shorting out her keyboard and mouth. Mean memes and jokes are radicalizing people. So stop it! It makes people not think clearly. Give me a freaking break. Rational people are going to understand a joke. If you go in and hear a joke. Uh, and you already have biases, it's not going to do anything to reinforce or negate that bias. Let's be honest. (laughs) The only thing that's going to do that is you changing your own heart. A joke isn't going to do that. It's going to be your own personal experience. A joke's a joke. And uh, they're not going to uh, sway people to act or form new biases. Uh, They're just not. I'm sorry. I guess Rachel Kay here had both funny bones removed at an early age. So I guess that now with this statement, this is what the expectation should be, right? This is this is what Rachel Kay is saying. She says, so it's, it's, I guess, you know, what this means is comedians that poke fun at white people should also stop then, right? I mean, they, they should stop. I mean, if these these jokes are so uh, harmful to our, our cognitive abilities, they reinforce or form new biases, then well, I guess we stop. So, so I guess that means even the, the jokes that people take at the expense of white people need to stop then, right? So we should burn all the tapes of Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor and Chris Rock poking fun at, right, at white people, right? Racist jokes against Democrats. Hmm, I don't see white comedians making jokes about blacks, Asians, or Hispanics. And I guess if you mean racist jokes against Democrats, does that mean that it's 
how the Democrats are racist. That's got to be what it means there, right? Because uh, I don't see white comedians taking shots at other other groups. So, and those are other groups are the ones that Democrats feel are their destiny groups that they have a right to their vote. So that's probably what she means here. I'm guessing. Misogynistic jokes against Democrats. Oh, I know which ones those are. Those have to be the ones calling out their ridiculous ideology that we can just ignore biology and we'll just identify whatever we feel like that day. If I feel like identifying as a blade of grass, then that's what I'm going to do. If I feel like I'm, you know, some sort of woman-like creature, then I'll just identify like that for the day. That Those must be the jokes she's... she's uh, uh, referring to, right? Like they're not really jokes in a sense of traditional jokes, but we're being sarcastic and poking fun at the ridiculous nature of what they're saying, which she might think a joke. There's humor. There, there's truth in all humor, period. That That's just the way it is. Uh, Rachel K here doesn't get that. Now, if we take at face value what she's saying, what Kleinfeld is saying, and then this is what she's calling for. She's basically saying, let's eliminate everything funny from our culture. Hell, Hollywood has pretty much already done that anyway. So it wouldn't be a stretch, you know, per se. But we know that's not what she's calling for here because in between sobs, she managed to call out this pernicious internet subculture of jokes against Democrats specifically. She didn't say jokes against Republicans and Democrats or liberals and conservatives. She said the internet subculture of jokes against Democrats. So we know that she isn't calling for the elimination of jokes and memes uh, against everybody, just, just against Democrats, mainly because they're not witty enough or smart enough to, to have anything of substance to come back with and, and have, you know, their own jokes. I mean, I guess, you know, po hot pockets aren't the most nourishing things in the world. So, um, so, so she just says, oh, the, the pernicious internet subculture of jokes and memes against Democrats. What I can, I, can you just hear how whiny she is? And, and, you know, if she were speaking that out loud, just, you know, how whiny that is. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, she only thinks that the right should stop and the left can keep on keeping on. That, that's what she thinks. Honestly, that's what she thinks. Otherwise she would have called out said, no, let's stop the jokes and memes against everybody. My gosh, this woman is such a hack. And if you're not, if you're not convinced of that by now, listen to this last statement because it will relieve any lingering doubt you will have about that. So Kleinfeld writes this, this. Democrats are not driving today's political violence. <laughs> Wrong, Rachel Kleinfeld. We just went through your whole article here and pointed out that Democrats are indeed driving today's political violence. They have always been driving the political violence and they will continue to drive the political violence because they cannot compete in the arena of good ideas. Now, before I go, don't forget to tune in live to Rucksack Radio on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central for Laughs and Liberty with Tom and myself. You can catch us live on Riverside FM or on Rumble, uh, simulcast there on Rumble. You can chat in both areas, and we'd love to see you all on there, online, watching live and chatting with us in, in, uh, in real time there. We love answering those uh, uh, questions or just responding to your statements on the air. So it's really a fun time. So tune in 7 p.m. Central. 
Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. <laughs> <laughs>